Hi, and welcome back to the Everyman Global Live series. My name is Egypt McKee, and I'm going to continue our study in a brand new series we've entitled That Guy. If you've been with us so far in lessons one and two, you've uh, noticed that we've taken a look at what leadership is looks like on the inside of us, around us, and through us, through the lives of King Saul, as well as uh, an unsuspecting man by the name of the centurion soldier, be it a foreign occupying Roman soldier of the day. And today we're going to continue our study in the life of another man that I think you'll find uniquely different than the first two. But what we're attempting to do is do more than just glean what is leadership, this all-encompassing thing that men face every single day of our lives, but more importantly, what we're called to be. That's the counterbalance of what it means to do versus be, and somewhere we find ourselves either in the middle or floating from one end of that pendulum to the other. Should I be doing something to express leadership, or should I be something and be confident in this position that I have been given and faithfully act out in the sense of obedience to the calling that God has established for each of us as men? Well, before we get started, what I'd like you to do is download the notes by just clicking download notes and follow along with me uh, so that you can add the things that seem very specific to your life. Maybe it's a perspective or a thought or a concept that you may be unfamiliar with or one that you may need to explore a little bit further in your own time. But taking those notes is a very valuable part of what we're doing here with Everyman Ministry, but more importantly, how that value is acted out in your life as you start to see some of the results of God's blessing uh, through leadership, not just in the understanding, but in the living part, uh, which not many of us really get the opportunity uh, to do very often. So let me begin by opening a question for you uh, in this lesson. Let me talk to you about your friends. Do you know who your friends are? If you were to create a list of good, bad, and indifferent, would you have a rating for your friends? I mean, there are all kinds of friends, right? The, the kind that you really, really, really trust, and then there are the friends that uh, may act more like acquaintances. And then there are friends that you could say, well, maybe they were a friend at one time or another, and you have a memory of, uh, a time that you spent with them in a certain part of your life, but you haven't been with them in an everyday or a regular capacity. So that experience is somewhat waned and that's the last memory that you have of them. So you still consider them friends, uh, best friends forever, or, or however you want to classify what your friends may be. But how about your enemies? Do you keep lists of your enemies? Do you know who your enemies are? How about your opponents? Is there a difference between your enemies and your opponents? You know, when we compete in sports, we certainly do so by way of competing against an opponent. We don't treat our opponents as if they were an enemy because an enemy is treated as uh, someone who is taking up a violent position of destruction against you, everything you believe in, everything you stand for, and in the same perspective, that would be you exercising a very similar like worldview toward someone that you might deem as an enemy. But that list is very important 
that you know who these people are because in the village of life, you know, you've heard the expression, it takes a village. It takes a village to do what? To go shopping, <laughs> to, to repair the car, to, you know, clean the house, uh, you know, figure, figure things out. Well, it does take a village to accomplish the most mundane of tasks. It takes a village to accomplish the greatest feats in life. It takes a lot of different people with a lot of gifts and talents that are differing than your own. But what's important to understand is that within this village of dynamics, you have a lot of different characters that live within that village. Friends, acquaintances, colleagues, opponents, enemies. And you'll wanna be careful how you navigate your life in obedience to Christ, because as a man, this is one of our Achilles heels, as it were, that we align ourselves with the people we like as opposed to the people we dislike. Maybe that's a natural and understandable thing. But what about you? In the sense of understanding who these players are in your life, these participants, maybe there's a bigger question that we should be asking to kick today off. The right question. One of the many right questions. How far are you willing to go to know truth? Well, that's an interesting penetrating question because when I think about how far I'm willing to go, well, what are you asking me, Egypt? Is it a distance I should travel? Is it a, a mental capacity that I should be willing to, uh, to, to understand or ascertain? Is there something greater that you're asking me? I'm asking you the literal depth of the question. How far are you personally willing to go to know truth. The first implication of that question must be, does truth matter to you? And if it does matter, do you value it? And if you value it, then what is your response in kind to your value of the truth? If you hold it in the most holy of, holiest of regard, that when you hear truth, you seek it out. Jesus himself said, listen, my sheep, when I speak my sheep, they hear my voice and they come to me because they know me. So when, the, when you follow the truth, there is a sense of change that takes place that you are willing to surrender and adopt the perspective, the conviction, and the direction of the truth. So I talked a little bit about in the previous lessons this concept of a beachhead and the importance of a beachhead and knowing what its primary function is is to be established as a forward location uh, to be held uh, similar to that of a foothold you've heard of that and you're familiar with the term a foothold don't let the devil take a foothold in your life or don't let him get a hook in your life don't give him territory or real estate in your life don't allow the devil that foothold because once he has that foothold he has one objective and that is to continue to advance his forces to overall uh, invade but to consume and assume lordship over your life well we know that the lord fights for us the lord stands for us the lord bled and died for us but the lord got up out of the grave for us so we have victory if we understand as leaders that we are not doing something that impresses god to the degree that god needs a co-redeemer i mean what what am i going to do as a man to uh better the salvation gospel message that Jesus Christ took upon the world, sins 
all the sin on himself, so much so that I'm somehow going to add to that, somehow improve upon that? May it never be. But this is dangerously the place where we venture outside of what I'd like to say is the design for God when we get outside of uh, adopting, living, harnessing, teaching, and advancing our life in a servant leadership capacity that is designed not so much to lord over others or to be the boss, just enjoying the authority, enjoying the power, enjoying seeing others jump when I say jump. How high should I jump? Uh, no. Leadership that is exercised with humility and with honor and with dignity and with integrity puts us in a better position so that our perspective is sharpened as men, that we can carry out the kind of life that demonstrates to others around us, there is a God. He does love you. And he has a desire for you to lift you up in such a way that you aren't continuing to be oppressed, not only mentally and spiritually and physically and otherwise, but God laid down his life so much so that, listen, we have a responsibility to look after one another, to care for one another, to protect one another. And that comes by way of being truthful and honest and clear and transparent. And we use this word oftentimes in Christian circles in the, the evangelical church in Western America. We use this word accountability. Uh, I, I love that because it, in fact, is a financial term in the meaning to be accountable or to keep record of and to reconcile, meaning to bring balance to really man, iron sharpening iron. So we come together in such a, a means of transparency that we as men, the end result is that we grow, strengthen and are deeper rooted in the, the good soil of God's word so that we can do what? Replicate that and go touch another person's life. So let me ask you before we get uh, pressing on here any further, what have you learned, you personally? Do you have any observations about you and your personality or your style? You know, some people use this expression, you're the type of person, and then fill in the blank. You're the type, fill in the blank. And what exactly you're the type means? I wonder what type of guy you are. When others speak of you, do they speak of you're the type of guy and they fill in a derogatory uh, term to fill out the rest of that phrase? You're the type of guy that's always praying for people. Well, what if that's the worst you can say about me, man, bring, keep it a coming. But we all know the opposite is true in many other cases that we are we hear expressions that we're the type of guy that we fail to do something or we fail to actually fulfill a promise that we made earlier. So when we do those things, we know that we're held to a higher standard because Jesus, in fact, wants our yes to be yes, our no to be no. We, he wants us to be men of integrity, not because it's a great thing to be and it looks good on our spiritual resume, but because he requires it of us because God is holy and therefore we must be holy. The scripture is very clear about this. This isn't a suggestion. It isn't a, a hallmark term of endearment. It isn't some great infomercial. It's a fact. It is life. And it's the thing that you and I both have to face and have to come to grips with that. But how do you, what have you learned about how you look at people who are different from yourself? And I mean different in every possible way. Maybe they're 
they, they're not as smart. Maybe they didn't go to the schools you went to. Maybe they don't have the talents that you have. Maybe they can't throw a ball like you or kick a ball like you or maybe they can't solve a problem like you or maybe they don't have the pedigree that you have. But what is your natural bend toward looking at others who are really different from you? I wonder because we all need to be cognizantly aware of how we are naturally bending toward others that are different from us or in circumstances and situations that we just flat out don't understand. And to pretend that you know everything about everything would be one of the greatest injustices in the history of injustices for you to look at everything and have an opinion on everything, especially those things where you have no experience, no knowledge, no skill, no understanding. Because God doesn't need <laughs> us to be the know-it-all on everything. But what I love about what he has done in leadership is that it puts us in a position where we have to be vulnerable. We are forced to tap into our vulnerability, not as a weakness, but as a strength to admit that we do not understand everything, but that we are willing to find out where possible the things that we don't understand. So I love this because God has both defined and he has prescribed a very specific prescription for leadership. And that is the one that he has for us today to be found in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21. So let me read along with you, it's very short. It says, if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. <laughs> Did you get that? There's two conditions here to believe to, to start this passage and then two actions to complete it. Both don't seem like they're in the proper order or in the proper place or it seem to even make sense. So the condition is if, if my enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. Wait a minute, because see, what I really want to do is if my enemy's hungry, let them starve because then they're weaker and then I'll win because I can dominate them. But God says, no, give them food to eat. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Why? Because it glorifies your God in heaven. And when he instructs us, commands that we do something a certain way, there is not just the action that he's leading us to practice, but he's also teaching us the principle behind the action for why we're doing what we're doing. The second uh, action and condition here is, if they are thirsty, give them water to drink. Well, who's not ever been thirsty in their life? We all have. There's not a single person who doesn't understand what it means to be thirsty or to be thirsting for water. I need replenishment and sustenance in my body and my body needs to rehydrate. So I quickly go get the thing that my body is craving. But what we need to be doing is anticipating those needs in others, particularly those in whom we identify as enemies. And sometimes we commingle them with opponents or adversaries those in whom we're competing in life with. Some of us compete on every possible level known to man. Some of us can't even get in the car with other people without being the first to buckle our seatbelt, the first to lock the door and hear the sound close. And it's just go, 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 go. Everything is a competition. And maybe if that's not your mode for competition, you compete in other ways. You're answering questions before the, an before the question is even answered completely. You've actually blurted out the answer. And then you're embarrassed 
in that time when your answer is actually wrong because you didn't listen to the entire question being asked. So we want to anticipate God's goodness, but we want to do so in such a way that we don't usurp the authority and the power and the majesty of God by getting ahead of him and thinking, you know what, I heard the sermon before. I've been there before. I know what you're talking about, but you know, I don't need that anymore. I got this, I got this, I got this. No, God's got this. It's his word and he's the one that seeks to bring about a specific type of fruit that would be born through us. We are fruit bearers, make no mistake. Some of us are apple trees or banana trees or pineapple trees. Whatever fruits God is producing in you, I want you to produce healthy fruit, fruit that will last. You know, next scripture comes to us by way of Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. Listen closely. It says here, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house <laughs> and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that, we can, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from, the, from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and later, taking some food, he regained his strength. This is a powerful run-up to the next man that I want to spend a little bit of time with you. Really tapping into what leadership looks like in the life of a holy man, a man named Ananias. And as we move on here to really tap into this encounter that Ananias would have with God and then Ananias would have with Saul, would say a lot about the kinds of men and the kinds of leadership that we should be seeking to both have and to develop and to disciple. And the first point I want to make that we are going to cover today is that your concern matters. And that's valuing others regardless of yourself. Listen, just because you ask a question doesn't make it the wrong thing to ask a question of God. Listen, it doesn't express some level of weakness because you asked a question. It's a good question when you approach the Lord with humility and you express your concern. The second is that your candor matters. Wow, candor. Now there's a word we don't use very often in common discourse, speaking truthfully regardless of your feelings. We're, we become such a culture, so entwined in our feelings that we have forgotten what it means to speak with candor, with respect and honesty, but straight. Give it to me straight. You've heard that before. Just give it to me straight. It just, regardless of my feelings. And the third is that your courage matters. Your courage matters. This is obedient action regardless of the risk. This is removing the equation of risk-reward. 
Is it risky that I do this? Should I do this if it's going to bring harm to me? Uh, getting out of the way of yourself is sometimes the first step to obedience. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28 tells us, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Listen, Jesus is exclusive and clear in his authority, in his holiness, in his majesty, in his lordship. No one will snatch you out of his hand. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus did not share his throne or his lordship with anyone else. He made clear that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The question is, is do you believe it? You know, sometimes we look at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the miracle. And there are so many miracles embedded within the miracle. Sometimes it, it blows my mind to think that it wasn't just that Jesus was the only way. It's amazing to think that God made a way at all. Like God made a way at all. He could have just said, deuces, I'm out. Mankind, you're done. But he didn't. He sent his own son. And Lord knows I have a real inherent problem with sending my son to die for a bunch of people that I created that could care less. Matter of fact, forget care less. They hate me. That is just his divine love for you and for me cannot be measured. John 15, 16 says, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. And so that fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, I will give you. That is an amazing thing. God didn't wait for me to react and respond. He, he's not waiting for you or your friend or your brother or your sister or your family or your friends or your boss or your customers or your vendors to take action. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. The real question is, is do we recognize that when that's taking place? Which brings me to my first point. Know your why before someone else defines it for you. Know my why? What are you talking about my why? Know your why. Why do you exist? Why do you exist? You know, it was accredited to Mark Twain as saying, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And that's an amazing thing when you think about the truth behind the simplicity of that statement, the day I was born and the day I find out why. Do you know why you exist? To glorify God, to keep matters relatively simple, but there's nothing simple about that, to worship God, to fellowship with others, to draw men toward Christ, to live the life that God has given you to live on this planet for a specific period of time to influence those in your immediate sphere of influence for the glory of God. Well, these are just the beginnings of what leadership might look like in the sense of what it looks like, but 
What is it in my life? Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. His good and pleasing and perfect will is precisely the point of your why. None of you are random nor some mistake or some dude that just kind of ended up on the wayside. You're so much better than that. Listening to others and that convince you of your value or devalue that don't come in the name of Christ and instill in you the kind of encouragement and purpose that comes from the Word of God is nothing short of a waste of your time. As men, we're all challenged with how to be a good man, how to be a respectable man, how to be a successful man, how to be a fun man, how to be a needed and valued man. We swirl in our minds this rotisserie of ideas and thoughts that quite frankly are just great thoughts to have, but they are not the holy thoughts that come from the throne of grace that show us and demonstrate to us what it means to be a man of peace, a man of truth that is rooted in my why acting itself out in a daily relationship with God and with others. You know, the scripture says in John chapter 18, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who hears the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. This is interesting that Jesus' encounter, all brief it may be, with Pilate, Pilate was not asking for a remedial training course on the excerpts of truth. He wasn't asking Jesus to enlighten him on what truth is. If he were, he would likely fall to his knees and repent of his sins and follow Jesus. But no, he cynically said, what is truth? You see, Pilate's truth was wrapped up into what I call the isms of life, or one of the many isms. In this case, relativism, <laughs> what is truth? You and your truth. You've heard the expression, you tell them your truth. Your truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Your truth is irrelevant to the truth of God's word. Whether it's postmodernism, wokeism, relativism. You know, there's a lot of isms that we see, displayed, and interacted with, and adopted, and believed, and opined upon every single day of our lives. We want to be careful that the only ism that matters is rooted solely in God's Word. My second point is this, know how to rightly discern and deliver the truth. Now, discernment is something we're severely lacking in culture, but as men of God, we are called to be men of discernment. You just don't believe everything that just comes along, every anecdote that someone has to add to the fray, even though they may be someone that you think is a man of God and they have a lifestyle that appears to be one that is holy. 
Sometimes things are not what they appear. Sometimes things look one way, but in fact they are not the way they appear to be. You want to be very careful not to spend your time considering yourself to be one thing when in fact the mirror of God's grace reveals something else. You know, James chapter 1 verse 26 says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. You know, that could be the totality of this message as it is. The power of the tongue, this deadly little organ inside of our mouths, the, the power of that thing. Jesus says, listen, you consider yourself religious. Oh, okay, I'll go with you there. But you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue? Guess what that equals? This is simple algebra here. That equals a worthless religion. Your religion is worthless. Wait, 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 what? You mean I can't say a little expletive here and a little cussing in here and then I can live the way I want here? Jesus said, listen, I'm just going to focus on the smallest organ in your body, your tongue. This thing breathes fire. It lifts up people and it curses man. The same man that God created, it curses. It, it applies through flattery and all kinds of boasting and bragging and, and sarcasm. It, it has all kinds of ways of destroying its victims. And if that is the thing that you have more faith in as a man, if I have more faith in my tongue as a man that I can speak degrading ways to any man, woman, boy, or girl in any way that I feel that I need to to get my point across, because I just tell it like it is. No, you don't. You're just a mean person. You don't tell it like it is. Telling it like it is is a sense of candor and truly telling it like it is with discernment and gentleness, sprinkled with a little bit of salt. You got to you add some flavor there because if the point was about the method or is the point about being right, those are two separate things you see. You, you can be right and never at all achieve the goal for which you went out on a verbal assault. You know, we got to be careful. And I, I, I'm specifically thinking about maybe you're that, that man in a dating relationship. You're not yet married. Maybe you have been married for quite some time. Maybe you're newly married. One of the worst things we can do as men, and this is a two-way street, so please understand this. One of the worst things that we can do is belittle our significant other or our spouse in front of others for the sole purpose of chastising them and then feeling self-righteous in ourselves. And we, we cloak it under the, the banner of righteousness. I was just helping them. I was just explaining, you say. We want to be very careful about the method for destroying the character, destroying the will, destroying the hope of other people, and even more so even our enemies, because we would jump at that opportunity if it was someone in the office or a client or a customer or a competitor that was coming against us and competing, we would be the first to jump on them and annihilate them verbally if we could and shame them and embarrass them. And, and it's, it's a sad thing to see when a woman does that to a man as well. I told you so. 
Didn't I tell you before? Or this word that leads in, like I said before, be careful when you use these run-up phrases. Like I said before, really says in code, you're too dumb to listen to what I was saying before, so I have to say it again, but I have to verbally set the placeholder for you so that you can maybe get in line and do what I need you to do the way I need you to do it. Be careful with those systems of control and that tone of sarcasm and anger that gets launched as a part of our personality that we think others deserve. We think somehow that's what they deserve. They're no better when we should be asking the one question that matters on the front end. Is it holy? Is my response that I'm about to unleash holy? And if it is not, I beg you, we need to be men of character that change our method to match the obedience that God requires of us. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, many of you have heard this before. It may be even a life verse to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Some versions say He will make your paths straight. I love that particular translation because making my path straight is, you know, it seems like getting from point A to point B in a straight line is the shortest distance between two points, but there's something else that's a benefit about a straight line. I get to kind of see what's down the road. That's a neat thing in life, is being able to see what's down the road, the distractions, the obstacles, the emergencies, the things that I can anticipate even before they come. But you know, in those blind turns, those blind turns in life, those curved, ratchet, uphill, downhill turns, it's very difficult to know what is around the corner. So you've got to navigate much slower, much more carefully. Listen, if I asked you, can I trust in the Lord with all my heart, yet still lean on my own understanding? Is that even possible for me to trust in the Lord with all my heart, but yet lean on my own understanding? It sounds like a convoluted, confusing question. But sadly, some of us as men, we live there. We think that we can trust in the Lord with all our, our own heart, but lean on our own understanding. I would say that might be a possibility in an ungodly and unhealthy way. Remember the religious man in the earlier text that we read in James chapter 126? If you don't keep a bridle, meaning a control, a self-control on your own tongue, your religion is worthless. So maybe we're that person. We think we have given God our whole heart, but in fact, we haven't. Our religion is worthless in some way, shape, or form. So it makes it very difficult to live out a life that is opposite of leaning on my own understanding because I, I say in one side of my tongue, I believe in God, but I'm yet, I'm living, I'm leaning on my own understanding. You do see how these two do not live within the same home. They are in counter, they are counter to one another and they are in constant opposition and at war. My third point is this, know when to engage your battle. This is by far one of the most important things that'll keep you out of a lot of trouble as it has done me. And Lord willing, it will continue to keep me out of trouble. An example of this would be similar to, are you familiar with jumping rope? Maybe even double dutch. You see two people on the end and they're, they've got both hands going as such. And in double dutch, when the ropes are going, they are in conflict with one another, but they are also in harmony. So listen, when the, when the jumper, the new jumper is waiting to get in, 
The person is staring at the ropes and looking at their timing. They are anticipating timing. And this is what I want you to do. Start anticipating your timing and knowing when to engage your battle. Not every battle is meant for you to engage. Not every battle needs your opinion. Not every battle needs you screaming and hollering and making noise and getting angry. Not every battle even needs you to be a participant. Sometimes other people's battles are not your battle, but you've made them your battle because you are the superhero problem solver that has come to some place that you believe that you must solve everyone's problems around you. And that too is not your calling. So we want to be, we want to be very careful that we understand and anticipate when our time is. Proverbs 2 chapter verse 11 says, wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. So these wise choices are discernment. I want to discern. God, when are you calling me to engage? When are you calling me to be a part of this conflict or this, this issue or this matter? Because you haven't been called to be a part of every matter. But you know, being safe and staying out of trouble are two different things. They really are. Be careful that you think being safe means that I will always stay out of trouble. No, you will not. God has called you. He's called me to engage in places that are highly uncomfortable, highly toxic in the public sphere, highly uh, uh, volatile in so many different ways. When I say words like abortion, some of us have an immediate mental, spiritual, physical reaction. We've learned like water off a duck's back to, oh, it's bad, but uh, it's not my problem. Or we hear something like abortion and we think about not just the word, but what it is. Do we think that God is impressed somehow with a nation who has systematically killed 70 million babies in the last 50 years? This is a tragedy that is far beyond the definition of tragedy. Yet there is a godly response. And I am not telling you that the responses we have seen galvanized in our memories in the news or the newspapers or the media in some way is always the right response. But I do know that no response is not the response. We should always be men of prayer. And what happens when men pray? Things happen. Things always happen. God always shows up. Anti-God ideologies, the normalization of addictive and compulsive behavior, toxic behavior, mas you know, the demasculating of men, we've become weak and inept and feckless and cowardice. In general, not all of us, but certainly in general, there's a, there's a prevailing theme out there in culture that is pushing this narrative that men are worthless and somehow we don't have. Listen, none of you is worthless. God has created you as leaders, but he expects to use that leadership to be tested. By definition, it must be tested. Leadership has to be tested. It is not something you get to claim in silence and be rewarded in silence. If you claim it in silence, rest assured, you will be using it on the battlefield of life every single day of your life and your calling. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
Amazing. So be prepared. Be prepared. Listen and learn. Anticipate like the double dutch jumper. Be ready to jump in and be ready to move when God calls you to move. So in closing, here's where we are. We know that God's men are accountable and everybody knows it. God's men are accountable, which means being that guy means God's men are aware that only the Lord Jesus Christ gives them their identity. Only. He's exclusive. We don't receive our identity through multiple sources. We don't have magazine subscriptions and, and other clubs to be a part of to gain our identity. Jesus gave us our identity. Your concern matters. Being that guy also means that God's men hear the truth and communicate it boldly to others. Your candor matters. But in your candor, by, by definition, be discerning of your method. If you want to correct someone or present a difficult truth, you can do so with respect and honor, but in a way that is not retreating or regressing and shrinking back. No, God's men always boldly proclaim the truth. Being that guy means simply God's men step up and take part in every conflict that the Lord orders. That means we don't run away from the fire. We run toward it, not because we enjoy getting burned, but we enjoy and we are on a mission and a purpose. And we are highly focused on seeing that souls are saved out of the fire. Out of the fire. Your courage matters. When God calls you, will you answer? And that's what I want to leave you with today. And I want to thank you for hanging in and hanging on with me through this third lesson in our brand new series, That Guy. I pray that when all is said and done, you will be counted as that guy that God loves as a good and faithful servant. Listen, I've enjoyed this study and I hope you have as well. So listen, if you want to find out more information about me or maybe book me for a speaking engagement as a guest speaker at your venue, I'd love to have you contact me at the information that we provide here below on the screen. But before we move on, I want you to think about what you're going to do today that will count you as that guy, like Ananias. Count you as that guy when God calls you, whether he comes to you in a vision or a prayer or he impresses it through his word into your life. Will you respond? So as we close, let me pray for you. Father God, I want to thank you for every man that has ears to hear. I pray that you would give them new vision, new insight. I pray that our prayer collectively as men today would be, Lord Jesus, take from us the desire for worthless things. Show yourself strong in our lives today. Go before us that you may be glorified in everything we are and everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks again for joining me. I look forward to you and seeing you back in the next lesson of the That Guy series. But until then, be encouraged.